Hello and welcome to episode 61 of the Nerd Culture Podcast. I'm your host David, and with me are the NCP crew, it's Richo. Oh, I'm so excited right now, it's not funny. I'm like nerdgasm excited. Nerdgasm. Luke. <laughs> I'm clearing the area. <laughs> <laughs> hey Crystal. I'm afraid. Be Move very afraid. A- <laughs> Move to a safe distance. Don't be afraid everybody, be excited. It's exciting times. It harkens back to the, the Larry episode. <laughs> the use for the t-shirt. This episode is devoted to the greatest comedy troupe ever. Ever. Multi Python. Not the Ritz Brothers? No. Multi Python. Greatest ever. Not the Farrelly Brothers? <laughs> the Farrelly Brothers. What about the Zoomers? <laughs> Mother's Brothers? <laughs> How about the Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> what is this obsession with brothers with you? But before we get to that, we have a bunch of news, so I'll try and get through it as quickly as I can, but there's a lot happening in the world of NCP, so. Um, and the outside world, so we'll, we'll, we'll try and get through them. There's, There's an outside world. world? There is an outside world. Damn, you beat me to it. <laughs> First up, uh, we have a new logo. Um, so our eagle-eyed uh, viewers and listeners uh, will have noticed on the website and Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that uh, that we have a new logo. Um, it is uh, just a variation on, on the logo that we had before, but I think it is refreshing and and you know, funky and new and now and all those buzzwords that advertisers use. <laughs> and distinct. It's, it's distinct, yeah. It's hip. And it's uh, more importantly, won't get a sued. Whoever <laughs> created that must be really talented. I know, she would be very talented. So um, it was, uh, yeah, thanks to Crystal's uh, lovely work, it's awesome. So uh, check it out if you haven't already seen it. Um, it is magnificent. And uh, eventually, uh, when I actually get have some more money... I will generate some T-shirts for them, so we'll have some T-shirts with those with that logo on there. Generate to make it poster size and cover the side of the house. <laughs> <laughs> I need money. <laughs> I don't have this sort of stuff. Buy um, from Amazon, people. <laughs> that's right, Amazon affiliates. Uh, so, next piece of news is that NCP has joined forces with Madman Entertainment. And, uh, it's really, really exciting stuff. So, uh, we will be mentioning Madman every episode. <laughs> And Don Draper. um, No, not Don Draper. And um, (laughs) to start off that affiliation, uh, we've actually got some giveaways uh, later on in the show. The next piece of news is we have a new crew member, which is really exciting. We've got uh, Bo from ACN Radio is uh, is joining us as a sort of an alternate (laughs) from the bench. Uh, He won't be able to join us every episode, but uh, he will be joining us on our next piece of news, which is NCP Goes Weekly. As a bit of an experiment, um, I want to try and put uh, NCP out on a weekly instead of a fortnightly basis. The main crew uh, won't be on the alternate episodes, but Bo and myself will. Um, or if, the, you know, if you guys want to join me here for the alternate episodes, that's awesome. Uh, but uh, so it's uh, it won't be it's, it won't be a permanent thing just yet. I just basically just want to gauge sort of how it goes if it's well received, if people are, if people are listening, if people enjoy it. And we'll have sort of sort of alternate sort of topics that we would uh, necessarily on this show. Like for example, we'll be able to talk about Warcraft without everybody else in the room groaning in in, dis- in disgust. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So check it out. So this so that episode uh, episode sixty two will actually be out in a week's time. So uh, check it out. Okay. So that's all the news from NCP's world. But in the outside world, Richo's got some news. Uh, I've got exciting news indeed. As everybody knows, if you go to the website and check out the Who reviews, I'm a massive, massive Doctor Who fan. And uh, just a few days ago, the BBC has released Lost Episodes, uh, Enemy of the World, and uh, Web of Fear, featuring the Yetis. 
Uh, an enemy of the world, which features evil Patrick Trout and Doctor Who versus good Patrick Trout and Doctor Who. So uh, these are episodes that have actually thought lost for a very, very long time and uh, have apparently recently been discovered in Ethiopia of all places. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm so excited it's not funny because I just assumed that I would never get to see these stories and yet here we are, already released on iTunes. I should point out, the, the, the exciting news is not that in previous times when they found Doctor Who episodes, it's been, you know, part four or part three of a lost story, whereas um, now what they've actually discovered, the exciting bit is they've actually discovered complete, for the most part, complete stories. Yeah, yeah well, the, the last um, the last discovery of episodes was actually in 2011, and they found, like, one episode mm. of the Galaxy 4 story yeah. and one episode of, of another storyline. And so, yeah, but no, we've actually got uh, one complete story in Enemy of the World and one almost complete story in Web of Fear. There's still one episode missing, but uh, they've actually done bridging using um, stills photography and uh, the original audio track of that episode. They've managed to piece that enough together for you to get the flow of the story throughout. So, yeah, pretty exciting. And uh, there's still rumours floating around that there may actually be even more episodes to be released down the track as well. Apparently, uh, yeah, according to the rumours at least... Africa's been a bit of a gold mine, so looking forward to that. Apparently, BBC has a uh, press conference next week, so I'm hoping they'll just come out and say, we found them all, because that would make me very, very happy. <laughs> awesome. That is exciting. So I guess we'll get it on the uh, Who Reviews. Yeah, we'll actually be uh, doing a special... I don't know what you call it. I don't know if retro reviews is the right one because they're all kind of retro reviews, but I'll be doing special reviews of these two storylines just as soon as I've downloaded them from uh, iTunes. Lost and found episode. That's right. All right, so let's move on to our main feature, Monty Python. I cut down trees, I skip and jump, I like to press wildflowers. I put on women's clothing and hang around in bars. Down trees, I wear high heels, suspenders, and a bra. I wish I'd been a girly, just like my dear papa. Okay, the Monty Python uh, troupe, like I said at the start, the greatest comedy troupe ever. Ever. Uh, comprises of uh, Graham Chapman, uh, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam. Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. Their existence uh, is is known around the world, and uh, their stamp on comedy uh, is undisputed. Um, some people uh, even compare that their their stamp on comedy is comparable to the Beatles' stamp on music. Mm. It's, it's amazing. Their legacy is amazing, and uh, thankfully, you know, with, with uh, most of them, continues on uh, in solo stuff. But I want to focus on um, them as Monty Python as a group themselves. Um, there's differing accounts of the origins of the Python name, Monty Python. The, the Monty part is either a tribute to Field Marshal Lord Montgomery, <laughs> who's a British general of World War II, or also that Idols also claimed on occasions that Monty is a popular retowned fellow who uh, drank in his local pub. Mm. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, Python, they, d- they decided because they just wanted something that sounded sort of slippery. Mm. And the sort of, so Monty Python together sort of would sort of describe sort of a sleazy entertainment agent. I um, mean, it's not the first name they came up with. No, there's, the there's multiple. One of my favourites is, it's Owl Stretching Time! <laughs> owl Stretching <laughs> um, Time, yeah. Uh, and the like. Um, but yeah, it was one of the names was that they had many, many names. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was, Al Time was on here, yeah. And um, Gwyn Dibley's Flying Circus. Mm. <laughs> uh, my favourite is Arthur Megapodes. <laughs> Arthur Megapodes Flying Circus. I don't know, they just come up with a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, but yeah, eventually settled on Monty Python, which is which is cool. Um, they all they all met before Flying Circus. So Flying Circus was their breakout TV show, and they were offered Flying Circus. Uh, well, actually, mainly um, John John Cleese was uh, and Graham Chapman were from mm. Flying Circus, and uh, they brought in the others because they knew them from previous previous work, uh, TV and radio, and also from school. Some of them actually knew each other in school. Well, they they they, they came from two different camps. Uh, mm. I think John Cleese and Graham Chapman went to, I think Oxford with Tim Brooke Taylor and maybe Graham Gardner, and mm. the others came from Cambridge. Um, Eric Idle, uh, Michael Palin, and Terry Jones. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were all um, law and English and history. Cle- Cleese and Chapman came from Cambridge. Oh, Cleese and Chapman, and mm-hmm. the others came from Oxford. They are all reading law and history mm-hmm. and English. Um, but they got um, started off they, um, in performing um, by doing you know things like the Footlights Review. They started to form attachments and um, going from into TV and radio from there. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's, one of the TV shows was... Uh, uh, we have ways of making you laugh, which mm. I thought was hilarious yeah. <laughs> as, a, as a name, and a couple of the others. Uh, the, the most, the most famous would probably be the Frost Report. Yeah. Uh, but then you also get Twice a Fortnight, Do Not Adjust Your Set, How to Irritate People, The Complete and Utter History of Britain, and Doctor in the House. <laughs> um, uh, but the one that's more impo- the more famous than the Frost Report is the Frost Report is only really John Cleese with the yeah. two Ronnies, mm-hmm. um, whereas the one that's sort of one of the pre direct pre pre Python ones. Apart from Do Not Adjust Your Set, is at last the 1948 show. Yeah, which, which, had, which I was about to get to. Sorry, but, <laughs> well, that's that, that, that John Cleese, Graham Chapman, and Graham Chapman with uh, Marty Feldman and Tim Brooke Taylor. Mm-hmm. Um, which is important because you actually get a sketch on that that later became famous. The Python's made famous on the live show, which is the Four Yorkshiremen sketch. Yeah, um, it, interesting to point that that because um, you mentioned um, how to irritate people, which is. John Cleese's special with Michael Palin, mm. um, and part of the reason for that was that John Cleese's star was on the rise, yeah. Um, and it was inevitable that he was going to get his own show no matter what happened, yeah. Um, but how to irritate people was his attempt to try and work with Michael Palin because he'd always he'd always wanted to work with Michael Palin. Yeah. He'd been writing with Graham Chapman for many years, yeah. Um, but he liked Michael and understandably quite liked Michael Palin um, quite a lot as a performer because um, Michael Palin's also in how to irritate people, which is not actually that funny, but um, is important in how the Pythons start to come together. And they do come together in the Flying Circus. Python Flying Circus, probably when I was very, very young, but then didn't catch up again until it was repeated on TV when I was, I'm not sure if I was in my late teens or my early 20s, I used to watch it on my little black and white TV in my bedroom, 
<laughs> my sister leaning up against my legs. She's she only a little kid, so probably most of it went over her head. But she's she's 28 now. She still loves Monty Python, so it <laughs> got in there somehow. Monty Python Flying Circus is a celebration of silliness as much as anything else. Uh, <laughs> I, love, I love Graham Chapman's character going, Stop that! That's silly! <laughs> <laughs> the, the, benefit, the great thing about what Graham Chapman doing that it's not just stop that that's really it's he does it quite often when he's in his full um, military, military uniform right well. yeah, yeah. that's it this is this guy's just silly we need something something good and wholesome and decent right I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a line here and he'll um, burst in on other sketches and say stop that mm. silly <laughs> <laughs> now this is the other thing I like about Monty Python is the uh, constant recurring bits even when it's not related to other sketches like my, my, my favourite is the knight in shining armor who hits people with a dead chicken? Yes, I love him. <laughs> but there's one, one where he, he's uh, standing off offset and he's told he's not needed for this scene and he walks off rather dejectedly, <laughs> dragging the chicken behind him. <laughs> I say him. It could have been a lady in that. It could have been. It could have been a lady. We don't. Like, well, it wasn't though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the suit didn't have breasts. <laughs> Generally, when they make uh, was, suits of armor for it was actually Terry. Breasts. It was Terry Gilliam, so it could have been a lady. <laughs> <laughs> could have been Terry Gilliam as a lady. In Brings the, me to in my the next, my next point. My my absolute favorite aspect of Monty Python Flying Circus and films is Terry Gilliam's artwork mm. and the animations, and I just love the surrealist nature of the little trips he takes you on. Uh, the silliness of uh, like a bird eating a whale, that sort of thing. Mm. <laughs> Things open up and move around. And dance. But it's interesting because you couldn't actually watch it all that in one hit. They when they did the best of um, a few years back, the Terry Gilliam section was all just all Terry Gilliam's animation, and you start going, "Oh yeah, this is funny." But after we go, "Okay, this is brilliant." But I can't watch this anymore. Yeah, yeah it, it works yeah. as breaks it was in. A, it, yeah, it the works sketches. as better yeah. in small doses. And, yeah, and yeah. for something completely different. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, in preparation for this episode, I tried to watch as much Monty Python as I could. Uh, I cut through the first season and a couple of episodes into the fourth season. Well, I, I don't know how much of this is correct, but I can see influences there projected into the future on a future show is like for instance the the man in the street giving their impressions is very fry and lorry mm. and have they do that and um the 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 sketch where uh terry jones keeps getting caught trying to take his pants off at the beach is i thought was very mr bean <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorite sketches the the science fiction sketch where the, the blamonges try to take over at wimbledon uh, reminds me of the um the Vindaloo monster red dwarf, <laughs> <laughs> and and one of my old time favourite sketches, um, the lumberjack song. Just every time I see it, it brings to mind Michael Palin's travel show. <laughs> and I, I, I think he's, I think he was in Bhutan, and he was talking to this this man in a little hut somewhere, and he says, and the man asked him if he wrote music, and he's like. Oh, yes, I once wrote a song about a lumberjack. Tested <laughs> to the lumberjack. <laughs> That's awesome. But because um, it started before any of us were born, mm. they were just always there. So a big part of our lives, a big part of the background. Actually, background. finished before most of us were born too. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I don't know. They would have been still making movies after we were born. Certainly movies. But yeah. the TV show finished, I think, yeah. in '73. Yeah. Mm. Maybe 74? Then we yeah. come along with things like Faulty Towers. I mean, you can see John, some of John Cleese's characters in Monty Python Flying Circus. You can see Basil Faulty evolving there. Mm. <laughs> yeah. 
like uh, like you actually saw it when I was young, and uh, I got to admit there's a lot I loved, like like the lumberjack and the uh, dead parrot sketch, which is still a personal favourite. But um, I must admit there was a lot I just did not mm. get at all. Mm. And it's not until, like like you were saying, when you sort of come back years later to watch it. Yep. Um, one of my absolute favourite sketches, which I just did not get the joke at all as a kid, is the um, Philosopher's Soccer match right. with the Renaissance philosophers playing the Greek philosophers in soccer. And I, I just had no idea what that was about mm. as a kid. I just thought it was funny because these guys in weird costumes were kicking a, a football around. But uh, years later, when I actually understood a lot of the philosophers they were talking about, the sketch is actually ingenious, but yeah, it just it, it didn't work on that level until I. Well, it worked, it, later it worked on. on so many levels. It's a bit like The Simpsons. Yeah, mm. yeah. We've all got a similar story because mine's actually quite similar as well. Um, I remember you know watching the twentieth, twenty fifth anniversary, yeah. and watching it with parents going, "Oh yeah, this is kind of interesting," and you know liking the nudge, nudge, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, which is Same a classic. Sketch. But then seeing um, the first real exposure to watching. One full sketch was um, watching Sam Peck and Pass Salad Days, and I watched that when I was ten years old, and not knowing what Salad Days was, nor who Sam Peck and Pass was at the time, um, seeing uh, all these you know nice dandified um, English country gentry sitting there eating a picnic, and then suddenly limbs being cut off, <laughs> you sit there going, I don't get this when you're ten, but then discovered yeah. it later in the teens and loved particularly the Spanish Inquisition, which is my favourite sketch. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> No one expects a Spanish Inquisition! But these guys actually embraced intellectualism and the absurdity of elitism to a certain degree. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the, the, were they the Nigels and the Obstacle Comics? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but also, you know, things like uh, Pablo Picasso, um, the great bicycle race of Pablo Picasso is going to be drawing um, his latest masterpiece. You know, the absurdism of intellectualism, but yeah. embracing intellectualism and academia at the same time. Um, yeah, yeah. So, sort of celebrating how people uh, used intellectualism as a uh, almost like an uh, accessory. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm so good because I've got the latest blah 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 on the wall, and so I like to think of. We would have dreamed of having a cardboard box when I was young. <laughs> I love that. It was brilliant. brilliant. Um, we had gravel for dinner, <laughs> and we were grateful. <laughs> oh, we would have loved to have had some gravel for dinner. <laughs> oh, we spent nights... Stri- I mean, that's not the dollar, but you can get the... <laughs> and there's the, the other sketch where uh, the son goes off to Yorkshire to work in the mines. The <laughs> 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 other parents stay behind in London doing the theatre and stuff like that. My Python origins is slightly different. Is, um, I actually didn't see any flying circus until after I saw Holy Grail. So okay. I was in uh, my introduction was Holy Grail, which is why I'll talk about it more later. Mm. And then thought, well, this is brilliant. And yeah. uh, they went back and then saw all the flying mm. circuses, and I was like, and so I was luckily enough, I was old enough to understand yeah. that one. So yeah, just genius. Well, what amazes me watching flying circuses is actually just how much they got away with as well. Mm. Um, and they certainly, I mean, they came under constant fire. Especially for is it it's Mary, Mary Whitehouse, Whitehouse, isn't it? Yeah, especially for Mary Whitehouse, who was like this just serial pest for the BBC, who would just constantly write in letters about almost like every day about things she'd seen on the BBC that she thought were you know immoral or that shouldn't be allowed to be aired and everything. Imagine if she had Twitter; uh, she would have got insane. But um, naturally, Monty Python's Flying Circus became a massive, massive target for her, and um, yeah, and you can I think you can actually see. 
their reaction to her constant well, complaints. Well, you, you literally can see because they flash up letters. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, dear BBC, I wish to complain about the lack of complaint about the amount of people who wish to complain. It's getting tired and something should be done about it. P.S. I've never kissed the editor of the Radio Times. <laughs> but it's amazing to think that their response to somebody complaining about them was to actually broadcast those type of complaints and actually sort of make light of it. You couldn't get away with that these days. Uh, just to finish up, one of the most important things about Fine Circus is uh, the way that it's just it just changed the way that these sort of shows were done. Mm-hmm. Um, so it introduced, uh, well, it didn't really, it didn't, it didn't create the cold open, but it, it made famous the cold open, um, especially with uh, Michael Palin's Robinson Crusoe character, <laughs> who just uh, struggled through some sort of terrain with it, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Water, whatever it was, in order to just to introduce the show by saying. It's yeah. <laughs> um, so then, which became iconic, and then they became it became more iconic when they had John Cleese sitting at a desk, re- like he's about to read the BBC News. Yeah, and, and now for something completely different. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, which was going to be my next pick. But that's fine. Um, <laughs> getting back to the the chat to Chapman's Colonel um, that Crystal mentioned before, which is awesome. That was their way of sort of stopping a sketch that they thought wasn't really working that well. Um, but incorporated into the sketch itself, mm. which is just mm. it's genius. I mean, it's, yeah. No one's ever done that before. They did that a couple and of times. Oh, this, this. They do it every episode. Yeah. Don't like, there, there's, don't, there's don't like that ending. Yeah. No, this is just one, one particular sketch, I don't remember, I can't remember which one it is, but when they basically, Cleese and someone and one of the others just sort of talking to each other, and they're just like, uh, this sketch is no good. <laughs> they just walk off, and that's it. That's the end of the sketch. There are instances where they'll, he'll walk in and actually change the sketch as well. It's like, no, no, you can't do that. You'll have to do it this way instead. Mm. And then they, just, they start the sketch again. Yeah. But just doing a different version of it. It's quite Spike Milligan-ish, but not yeah. the same. And, that's, yeah. and yeah. That's just, oh, brilliant. Um, I mean, the, the other thing that they actually made famous was, you know, the links. Hmm. Um, you know, actually trying to create not just, you know, a series of things that you just lump together in a show, but actually trying to get some sort of flow by having um, uh, one lead into the next um, organically. Yeah, and there's one point where you have to go back to what you were saying. We'll actually have to stop the sketch because you know that it doesn't work anymore. But yeah. they go, "Oh wait, no, I think we can still get in as a link." Yeah, yes. one of my one of my favorites. I'm, I'm I'm pretty weird with my comedy and what I think is funny. I, I quite like the long drawn out stuff, like uh, like Family Guy's Peter Griffin and the chicken fights that go on forever. I mm-hmm. like that sort of stuff. But I also quite I quite like the the abrupt ending stuff. Mm. And there's and the, they actually have a sketch that fits that bill perfectly, where they talk. There's a guy in a, a video editing shop and they're talking about you know how to make the film and so they're going through different sort of film techniques mm. and then and one and the last one is is uh, um, oh how about just the abrupt ending and the episode stops brilliant mm. <laughs> 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 and we need to follow on for that in the the Python's autobiography which got released about 10 years ago Terry Gillum actually made the point that one of the reasons why it works why Python worked is that why, why say Pete and Dud occasionally didn't work is that you know they'd be building up to a punchline and go boom 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 yeah. whereas Python actually never did that no you know, they, they just made the comedy what was in the sketch itself that's it um, the most important that, part I think. yeah which is where you know it means that you're actually watching the thing and just not waiting for the end the comedy is actually happening as you're watching it yeah. well you kind of do wait for the end I mean the, the lumberjack uh, one is a good example of the, the linking because he starts off in the barber shop mm. Mm. Like, yeah. he's a homicidal barber <laughs> You're kind of wondering where that's going, and all of a sudden it turns into a lumberjack. <laughs> so, just, uh, so it's very cool. I think we think we've already some of us have already mentioned a bit. Uh, favorite sketch? I mentioned a couple. I mentioned oh, the, I mentioned, couple, I mentioned the lumberjack Terry, Terry Jones 
pants coming off thing. The pants coming off was God. And yet you said the... Uh, dead parrot and definitely the philosopher's soccer match. Spanish Inquisition followed very closely by the Ministry of Silly Walks. <laughs> yeah, yes, cool. I'd have I'll go with Silly Walks too. I'll go with Dead Parrot. <laughs> <laughs> this parrot <laughs> is dead! <laughs> it is an awesome parrot! <laughs> There's a similar sketch where he tries to sell him a terrier, but he wants a fish. You know, okay, it's like some, yes. it's some fins on it. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Monty, uh, Fine Circus finished because Cleese decided that he wanted to go on. Um, he wanted to stop. And uh, so season four is not as long as the other seasons. And so then they, they, they moved on into the movies. Uh, the first movie is actually, uh, and now for something completely different, which was a bunch of sketches from seasons one and two sort of redone, to, uh, released as a, as a feature film. Um, the Pythons themselves don't didn't really like the end result and didn't consider it much of a success. Mm. Um, and it, it's, yeah, it wasn't wasn't exactly a, a success, I'll, I'll agree, but it did. It's more of a best of, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like a best of, yeah, it gets, yeah. That's, a good, that's a good way of putting it. And it's, but more importantly, it helped their move into America. So mm. America started showing the episodes and they didn't really work very well until the film came out. Yeah. And then it sort of got a bit more interest in them. So after after and now for something completely different, they uh, decided to move on to um, an actual original film, uh, which was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They wrote uh, most of it. I mean, some of it's actually based on a couple of sketches that they did they did originally, uh, and they wrote the rest of it uh, during. Uh, is it between three and four, or after four, or during four? I don't know. It's around that time. Anyway. So this is their big their big uh, return. Mm. And there was much rejoicing. <laughs> there was much rejoicing. Uh, so it was uh, released in 1975 um, and has uh, all the, the Monty Python crew doing um, all sorts of uh, various roles. And it's actually dual directed by Gillum and Jones, um, which uh, I are suppose... The it, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I didn't even, didn't even put that together until now. Really? Um, which is pretty bad. <laughs> Uh, so it's it's a Terry production, but uh, and it, it basically led to a couple of um, of uh, problems on mm. set, uh, and so after that they basically just made uh, Jones direct everything because yeah. <laughs> they found his style a little bit easier to sort of handle. But on that, um, they've got two very different visions. Monty Python and the Holy Grail uh, loosely follows the legends of King Arthur. Very loosely. <laughs> very loosely. <laughs> what an understatement. <laughs> uh, so Arthur and his squire Patsy <laughs> uh, recruit the knights in order to go and find the, the Grail. Um, the knights are Sir Belvedere the Wise, Sir Lancelot the Brave, Sir Robin the Not-So-Quite-Brave as Sir Lancelot, <laughs> and Sir Galahad the Pure. And, um, and there's also Sir, Sir Not Appearing in this film. <laughs> Whose baby is that? I don't know. I think it, I think it might be in Cleese's baby. Mm. Uh, anyway. It's uh, just some random baby. Just some random baby. <laughs> that baby's older than us. <laughs> and they, play, they all play sort of various various roles. I mean, the main, the main role of Arthur is played by uh, Graham Chapman. Um, and he also does the voice of Guy, which I thought was interesting. Um, and I think he's... I don't know which head is he of the knights. Is the middle the middle of the three headed knights? I think it's the yeah, because he's the one who's. I think he's the one who's complaining about them not brushing he's, his teeth. Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so John Cleese plays Sir Lancelot, who's awesome, um, and he also plays various others, the including I think the Black Knight. Yeah. Yes, he does. Except for when the limbs get cut off, and then it's some midget. <laughs> <laughs> I've had worse, and, and of course Tim the Enchanter. <laughs> Could you forget? There are some who call me. Tim. Tim. For death, I'll eat you with a great big pointed 
teeth. <laughs> Uh, Terry Gilliam um, plays Patsy, obviously, but he also plays the bridge keeper. And funnily enough, he also plays the animator who dies during yes. the, because he's the he does all the animation scenes. Yeah. He's the, during the scene where they're being chased by the monster. He's the one that <laughs> drops dead, which I think is hilarious. I love his ridiculous overacting in that scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Eric Idle plays Sir Robin and a bunch of others. Terry Jones plays Sir Belvedere. And a bunch of others, and uh, Michael Palin plays Sir Galahad. And a bunch of others. And a bunch of others, Fair including way. including my favourite scene in the film, the Mud Eater. Well, I can become king, then. The Lady of the Lake, her arm clad in the purest shimmering Samite, held aloft Excalibur from the bosom of the water, signifying by divine providence that I, Arthur, was to carry Excalibur. That is why I'm your king. Listen, strange women lying in ponds, distributing swords is no basis for a system of government. Supreme executive power derives from a mandate from the masses, not from some farcical aquatic ceremony. Be quiet! Oh, but you can't expect to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. Shut up! Oh, but if I went round saying I was an emperor just because some moistened bint had lobbed a scimitar at me, they put me away. Shut up, will you? Shut up! Ah, now we see the violence inherent in the system. Shut up! Oh, come and see the violence inherent in the system! Help, help, I'm being repressed, bloody peasant! Oh, what a giveaway. Did you hear that? Did you hear that, eh? That's what I'm on about. Did you see him repressing me? You saw it, didn't you? So the basic story, like I said, is that he's gathering up the knights. Um, he, they, uh, they are going to go drop into Camelot at one point but they decide not to because it's a silly place mm. um, and uh, it's certainly a model <laughs> <laughs> they also drop by a French controlled castle where they get uh, <laughs> go away I should talk to some more I think that's my favourite scene in the yeah. film the and your mother is a hamster and your, and your father, father smells of elderberries <laughs> and where they uh, use the Trojan rabbit but then forget to actually yeah. go inside the rabbit <laughs> if we were to build a giant badger enough <laughs> Uh, and during what's what what's cool about it is this um, is during sort of threaded throughout the film is uh, this historian guy is <laughs> basically doing a, do- a BBC style documentary on Arthur and the Knights and Lancelot because he's a homicidal maniac um, kills him just <laughs> runs off so basically comes out of the fantasy world into the real world kills him and then goes back in the fantasy world and then the police. Uh, the, the wife of the historian is, you know, gets the police involved, and the police are investigating and stuff like that. And it's sort of, sort of threaded throughout the film itself until the actual climax, um, where they uh, do eventually find the castle where the Grail is, and then unfortunately it's, it also has the French <laughs> the French soldiers there, <laughs> and uh, so they can't get to the Grail. But then everybody gets arrested. <laughs> like all the cast and crew. <laughs> like the, the crew as well, which is great. You get arrested by the police who then is like, stop filming and not the camera. And then the film ends. Mm. And so when I first when I first saw this film, um, and it had that sort of abrupt ending thing, which I mentioned before, I'm a big fan of. I was like, this is genius. <laughs> this is, this is, I mean, what sort of film would, would do that? I mean, there's not even any end credits. It just stops. And, uh, and so that's why I then went back and saw all the Flying Circus sort of stuff. So that's, that's Holy Grail. That's, I mean, that's, obviously, there's a lot more than happens during the film, but I just wanted to mention uh, you know, our favourite bits. I'm also a big fan of when uh, Palin's knight goes to uh, the castle Anthrax. Yeah. <laughs> and, the uh, grail-shaped beacon. Yeah, the grail-shaped beacon. And he's, he's, the, he's the chased one, and so 
Um, mm. he's, he's a virgin, and uh, it's it's manned only by all these you know buxom, beautiful yes. <laughs> and women. And after the speaking, the oral sex. <laughs> and Lancelot comes and saves him, <laughs> which is uh, which is hilarious. Which is um, it's uh, it's good. Gruten, what's her name? Zoot. Zoot. Yeah, Zoot, Zoot and... Twin sister Dingo. Yes. <laughs> Zoot and Dingo. Naughty, naughty Zoot. <laughs> which is awesome stuff. Um, which is uh, Carol Cleveland, who, who actually showed up, he's, he's in Flying Circus quite yeah. a lot yeah. as well, is basically yeah. just was the, 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 the blonde, the blonde bombshell. that's my only line! <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't Carol Cleveland, that was, um, I think that was actually that Mrs. Was- Palin. Yeah, oh, okay. there you go. Yeah, um, yeah Carol's a blonde, the boxing blonde girl, but uh, <laughs> she's hilarious. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. So yeah. some of the production stuff, like, I mean, like Luke just said, is there's, there's heaps of uh, behind the scenes sort of stuff, and, and uh, having the two directors didn't really help. But mm. um, the main problem was Chapman's um, alcoholism mm. that uh, it really, and since he was the main character, caused a lot of issues. Yeah. And he got, I mean, to his credit, he got. I mean, he was an al- he was being an alcoholic all his life, and you know, all through flying circus and all that sort of stuff, and basically, you know, didn't give a crap. But he's he's it's, he's alcoholism who caused so much trouble during the production of Holy Grail that he was and he was so embarrassed by it that he said, "No, that's it. Uh, no, I'm not going to do it anymore." And mm. then became stone cold sober. Yep. Not too long after that, until mm. his de- eventual death, which is which is I think is just amazing. Mm. You know, so it's, to his credit. Impressive. Yeah, yeah it's very impressive. I mean, the wow. Other, the other big problem they had was that this was made in such a small budget. Yeah. That it's actually a wonder that they were able to achieve. The budget was so small that it actually led to what became one of the most famous, what has become one of the most funniest elements and the most famous elements to it, which is instead of they were originally going to have horses, hmm. but they couldn't afford the horses. So they had to come up with something... And so I forget who it actually was, but one of them, well, you know, they do horses, Gilliam, well, one of them, because they, you know, to do the sound effect for horses in the sound department, they use coconuts clapping together. So they come up with, well, why don't we just have him, you know, prancing around like he's riding on a horse mm. and have his, um, his squire behind him doing the... You're using coconuts! coconuts. <laughs> <laughs> Which led to, of course, the, um, um, that great opening gag where... They're riding through the mist, and you're expecting something majestic, and of course, you know. <laughs> and, also, it also leads to the great discussion about how they actually got the coconuts in the first place, and <laughs> then leading to you know discussions of whether birds could carry those coconuts. Yeah, the, br- the bridge scene. The bridge scene. I didn't want to go through every single scene yeah. of the film because I mean I want you to see the film mm, yeah. and uh, and enjoy even though he's already it. told you the end. <laughs> Well, yes, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an old film. It's like, but I mean, one of the things that you've all sort of heard is that, you know, Richo and me, and also Crystal and um, David, to a certain extent, quoting the film ad, ad nauseum. Absolutely. It's <laughs> become one of those ones where for, it, its cult is so strong. You just can't, it, whenever someone brings it up, you can't help but saying, you know, Did, the, the, oh, it's only a model, or it, 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 it evokes such fond <laughs> memories. Did, Cool. So just a, a couple of uh, just a little extra facts. It was filmed uh, in lo- on location in Scotland, um, mainly around uh, the Dawn Down Castle, D O U N E Castle. I think it's Doom um, Castle. Yeah, Doom Castle. Most of the, the shots were mm-hmm. just you know just from alternate sort of angles, just to make it look a little bit different. But also at uh, Glencloe. And uh, what I thought was awesome and didn't know this at the time, which is pretty cool, is that other than Arthur. Who actually wore proper male armor? All the other knights were wearing wool, woolen armor that was yeah, painted yeah. silver. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it's the old um, it's the old Hollywood trick of making them all you know how do you 
how do you how do you get them to look like chainmail without actually having to pay for chainmail yeah. or yeah. or something that you know, looked equivalent, which is you know. I then went back and watched it again, and I was like, it's so obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather wear the wool. I mean, chainmail is incredibly heavy. Yeah, <laughs> and the wool would have been better anyway during yeah. the. I mean, would have been more rain and all this little crap. This chainmail would get all rusty in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that wasn't fake mist. It <laughs> <That> was real <laughs> mist. <laughs> That's another problem too. Yeah. It was very very cold. Very cold. Um, yeah, so check it out. I mean, it's it's one of the one of their most highly regarded films. I mean, it's, it's not quite up there with Life of Rome, but it's it's really it's it's up there. It's up there. I would say, and, uh, it's you really, really I really highly recommend that you check yeah. it out because it's brilliant stuff. I would say whilst it's not the equal film wise of Life of Brian, I actually find it funnier. It is funnier. Yeah. Like yeah. the jokes are actually just just constantly bombarding you with just one funny scene yeah. after another. Yeah. Right. And uh, it did eventually. It did also spawn um, Spamalot, the stage show, which was uh, written by Idol. And, uh, <laughs> I went to see that, and it was just, it was just opening, and, and they had some had some words up on the screen. What do you call those credits? <laughs> All those words. And there's a couple sitting behind us going, and one woman turned to her husband, and she went, "Was there a guy only Monty Python?" <laughs> <laughs> Yes, dear. <laughs> I like the fact that you've also done that in the uh, Dennis. There's a lovely filth over here voice. <laughs> Leave the cinema now. Stop it! You're being silly. <laughs> it's awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, you know, they originally wanted to cut the Black Knight scene, the backers mm. of the film wanted to cut the Black Knight scene because they didn't think it was funny. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't, because it's hilarious. It's crazy. <laughs> See, they, have a, they have a lot of history with, you know, backers wanting to cut stuff yeah. out of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, some of the money was raised by Pink Floyd. <laughs> yep. Yep. Awesome. They also had uh, George Harrison yeah. raising money for their film efforts as well. That's yep. awesome. So, okay, so, that, so after the success of Hologram, I mean, Hologram was a success, so yep. um, after that they moved on to... Life of Brian, but before they did, which I thought was hilarious, was sort of, after Holy Grail, the reporters keep asking what their next film was going to be. Was it going to be next another film? What's it going to be? And uh, Eric Idle just just got so irritated at one at one uh, interview that he basically said, "Oh, look, the next film's going to be Jesus Christ, Lust for Glory." <laughs> and the interviewer took him seriously, yep. and uh, and so they kept it because they thought it was funny, <laughs> and because it it actually stopped the interviews. Like yep. so people stopped asking the question because now they knew. Um, and so it was obviously it was just a joke. Yep. And uh, but then they then they decided, hey, we'll we'll do Life of Brian. <laughs> yep. So yes, we the film that almost was Jesus Christ Lost for Glory um, actually starts off kind of interesting. What they did, it, they start writing it in '76. Um, but unlike, say, Flying, um, Flying Circus or Holy Grail, in which you know they'd sort of be in a room or go away to their own homes and write um, separately, they actually went to Bermuda to write together to get away from everything and you know just sit down and actually write, and then it actually worked well for them. Originally, what they were going to do was you know Jesus Christ lost for glory, and they're all and they said they're all non-believers. But the more that they went and tried to re- research and reread um, the New Testament, the more they found that the idea of actually doing a, a skewer on Christ was they actually didn't quite like that they you know in spite of what you might think of Christianity or what have you Christ himself is actually kind of a nice bloke saying some decent things you know we should all be nice and you know play nice together and you know help the poor and um, things like that you, you can't it's a bit hard to skewer or make fun of a guy who is actually trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. it'd be a bit like satirizing Santa Claus yeah <laughs> um, so they were, okay well we don't want to do that because you know the, you know, he, we kind of, we kind of like him. He's an okay bloke, 
Um, at one type point, they were toying with the idea of um, making the main character the 13th disciple who gets forgotten constantly. And I think they were going to call him Dennis before they called him Brian. But then they hit upon the idea of, what is the, what is the actual story, about a guy who was born at the same time as Christ, who actually is also confused um, for the Messiah and the problems that fall out from there, the, um, which is the, the, the actual story. Um, it begins with, you know, Brian is born in the stable in Bethlehem, beside where Christ is born. You know, and the wise men eventually get confused and go into Brian's stable and thinking that he's the Messiah. And of course they realise, you know, that they've got the wrong one. Punch um, Brian's mother in the face. Brian is played by, again, Graham Chapman, his mother's played by Terry Jones. And go into the right stable and it proceeds from there. So you go from the Sermon on the Mount, in which the Christ's message is um, actually obscured and misinterpreted, through to the travails of Brian himself as he tries to come to terms with the fact that he is... Not the um, Messiah, he's a very naughty boy. <laughs> but also um, uh, possibly half-Roman himself. So he joins um, the Judean people's fight in an attempt to rebel against the Roman oppressors um, and to kick the Romans out of Judea. What have or, the Romans ever done for us? <laughs> the aqueduct? Roads? <laughs> <laughs> Irrigation of public health! <laughs> um, however, through the mishaps, um, he's a, through the mishaps... Relating to that, he is eventually confused with the Messiah himself for the for a Messiah himself. Um, this, of course, uh, leads up to leads up to the end um, with the eventual confrontation with the Romans, and possibly almost one of the most famous Python song. The most famous Python Easily song. Easily the most famous Python um, song. Almost as it got some very funny moments in it. As Crystal said before, um, uh, you know he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Has become the tagline for the film. Um, and it's the one that people quote. Um, other family, the stoning at the start of the film. The misinter- <laughs> there aren't any women in this crowd, are there? No, 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 no. <laughs> the misinterpretation of uh, the Sermon of the Mount from all the people at the back. You know, blessed are the cheesemakers. Um, <laughs> the meek will... The, the, wasn't it? The, the Greek, Greeks. The, the Greeks, Greeks will inherit the, the earth. earth. Um, so I, I love how they turn up later on. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> later on at the crosses. It's like... It's, with, uh, it's like yeah, I, uh, yeah, I'm Brian and so is my wife. <laughs> um, the attempt... The attempt to explain who the... Um, Judean people's front are to Brian yep. and the confusion around because it's not just the Judean it's the people's front of Judea it's the Judean populists front which leads to a, a rather humorous a rather humorous confrontation when they try to um, kidnap Pilate's wife Pontius Pilate's wife played by and of course the um, uh, Pilate himself yeah. with the, um, the lisp and the yes. rather quite funny biggest dickus people of Jerusalem Rome is your friend. <laughs> to prove our friendship, it is customary at this time to release a wanderer from our prison. <laughs> Whom would you have me release? Release Roger! <laughs> I shall release Roger! Sir, uh, we don't have a Roger, sir. What? Uh, we don't have anyone of that name, sir. Ah. We have no Roger! But the interesting thing about Life of Brian, it was made after the, the massive success of Holy Grail. Um, but because of the subject matter, it was quite controversial. Mm. Again, Mary White, but but the controversy actually worked in its favour. Mary Whitehouse yeah. and her cronies 
started picketing outside the cinemas where Life of Brian was being released, handing out pamphlets saying, you should not go and see this film, this will corrupt your morals. Um, and of course people went, hey, cool, yeah. proceeded to walk in and see the film. And so Mary Whitehouse effectively... Made got, the film a success. Made the film a success. Um, it was also a massive success in America as well. Hmm. Um, it was the fourth highest grossing... Um, film in the UK and about the same ranking for a UK film in 1979 when it was eventually released. Mm. And the other thing that um, uh, Richard here mentioned was um, the backing of the film. It was, they actually, because of the subject matter, they had um, a lot of back, they had a lot of trouble getting the film funded to begin with um, until they you know spoke to George Harrison, and George Harrison just simply gave them the money or gave them enough money to be able to go and seek other backers, purely for one very simple reason. He thought it was funny, and he yeah. wanted to see the film. Yeah, and he's actually in a shot. He's in the the shot um, towards the end where Brian is addressing the masses outside his window. He is one of the extras in the crowd. Yeah, and also Spike Milligan makes a, a cameo as well. Yeah, that's again, awesome. A, a monumental success, and again they almost had the same similar problem I think afterwards that they had with Holy Grail, which is but well, what's the next film? Which was um. Uh, the meaning of life. Before you go off uh, Life of Brian, it's important to note that they, at no point do they pick on Jesus himself. At no like he's, point. He's always treated with respect mm. when it's actually him. Yeah. Um, it's just it's what's happening around him that's the, crazy. It's actually not an attack on Christianity either. No, it's not. Because they're not actually skewing any of the dogma. It's an attack on rampant fanaticism. Yeah. Unquestioning, unquestioning Blind faith. Blind faith. Just before, uh, before Meaning of Life came out, they actually had uh, Live at the Hollywood Bowl, mm. uh, which is just a recording of their shows at the Hollywood Bowl. Very um, funny stuff, though. Yeah, it is funny stuff. You know. Has the best version of the Albatross mm. oh, uh, cool. sketch, I think. Cool. Where he's selling the Albatross, and he's actually in the aisle <laughs> of the Hollywood Bowl with this whopping green Albatross on a, on a train. He's actually dressed in the full gear. That's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very well done. My favourite version of that sketch. That's cool. That would work. Yep. So yes, let me go on to meaning, uh, meaning of Life. It's, uh, it's more of a return to the structure of Flying Circus. It's basically a film version of the Flying Circus, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's my least favourite of, of their mm. feature films, I will admit. Um, I do I do still love it. It's got some of the best songs. Mm. It um, has my absolute favourite, the Galaxy song. The Galaxy song, yeah, yeah. my absolute favourite Monty Python Which song. is amazing. Whenever life gets you down, Mrs Brown... And things seem hard or tough And people are stupid, obnoxious or daft And you feel that you've had quite enough Just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving And revolving at 900 miles an hour it's orbiting at 19 miles a second, so it's reckoned A sun that is the source of all our power The sun and you and me and all the stars that we can see Are moving at a million miles a day In an outer spiral arm at 40,000 miles an hour Of the galaxy we call the Milky Way Wow, <laughs> it's, 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 it's really, really pops cool. out of the refrigerator. Just come <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> in the suit, <laughs> yeah. and of course, every sperm is sacred. Um, yeah. I do like the hilarious. actual uh, theme song as well. Fortnite, 
is the beating of life. And the intermission. Yes. Which is just amazing. And I, was, I was like, what? <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, it's crazy stuff. I mean, it's it. It also is a bit of a departure from sort of the lighter comedy, where it's it's quite a bit darker. Mm, yeah. um, and vi- it's actually quite violent, yes. <laughs> surprisingly yes. enough. Um, it, like especially the operation scene. Yes. I mean, a lot of people would sort of point to the exploding fat dude in the restaurant at, at the end. Yeah. yeah. And I actually don't find thin. I actually don't find that scene all that very funny. I mean, the wafer thin bit's funny, just mainly because yeah. the accent. But the actual explosion is like, eh. But the operation thing, <laughs> that's just madness. That, that it does have my uh, one of the lines that I use a lot at work, which is, ah, oh, you see, you have the machine that goes ping. ping. <laughs> I think the big problem with Meaning of Life is that um, they'd actually all started to go their own separate ways. And I think trying to get them back for Meaning of Life um, suffered because of that. It is a credit to them, though, that they've still produced what is a watchable film with mm. very funny moments in it. Yeah. Just not quite the equal of what uh, what they've done in the past. Uh, the only time Meaning of Life stops dead for me is is the, where the camera crew are following Idol like, through the streets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and eventually gets to his, his boyhood home or something. And mm. it's like, none of, none of the lead-up is funny. And then the reveal at the end, that's not funny. And then so they cast to another scene, and then cast to another sketch, which is funny. The, yeah. And so I'm just kind of like, I actually didn't just didn't quite understand what was actually going on at that point. There, there are a couple of the jokes, rest of it. A couple of jokes that fall flat for me. The conversation yeah. where they're ordering, you know, conversations oh yeah, ordering conversations. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was a bit weak. I do, I do like death though. Mm. Death at the end is gold. Death is awesome. <laughs> There's a Mister Death here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the whole the, the death, the, the dinner, the dinner party mm. death scene is yeah. the, the, my favourite scene actually from from me in life. Did, mm. did you or, did you buy Tim Sonos? Oh, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> so embarrassed. Bloody Americans. Like I said, the least of the, the least of the three or the four, if you want to call it, five, if you want to count it for that. But still, still watchable. And it does have the Galaxy um, song. It has the Galaxy, which song. is my favourite scene and in the every film. Every favourite scene. <laughs> yeah, which is awesome. So that's uh, our sort of multi Python. We didn't cover obviously every, everything because we've only got a, you know an hour, but they're absolutely brilliant. And uh, and like I said, they move on to, into their own sort of. Uh, I mean, you pro- you would you would probably know them now from you know Palin's documentary, travel documentaries, and mm. and uh, Idols, Spam a lot, and and the ru- the Ruttles, the Ruttles, yeah, yeah, the Ruttles, and and of course John Cleese, yeah, the superstar <laughs> that he is, <laughs> um, and Gilliam's movies and, and stuff like that. It's just, I mean, like Time Bandits, Brazil, and so, Brazil, Twelve Monkeys. Like you yeah. went to Time Bandits first. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I always go to Time Bandits first because it's my favorite word. Well, see, Time Bandits <laughs> is also probably the mo- of of his films is also the most. Python. 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 Yeah. He actually co-wrote it with Michael Palin. So. And it has God coming down the corridor. What more do you want? <laughs> and you do have John Cleese <laughs> as uh, Robin Hood yeah. in so my personal favourite I mean, that's one of the interesting things, just to finish off with. They finished Python and they and they pretty much, for the most part, said, no, we're not doing Python again anymore. Um, there was talk you know, about doing a sequel to Holy Grail at some point, set during the Crusades, in which all the knights get back together. But they've all actually appeared in each other's... Yeah. each other's work there's still various... a Python interconnectedness yeah and, and, and they're still friends which I think is good I mean, it's, I mean yeah obviously there would be you know, some egotistical butting of heads during production and stuff like that because that's what friends do friends get upset with each other yeah. but there's, there's sort of the fact that they're still all now friends moving on mm. and you know they're not jealous of each other's success and they're all happy to help each other well they've all, had su- they've all had it's success yeah. yeah they've all been able to go off and do the, and the success has come from you know wanting to do their own thing mm. Mm. Um, except, except for Jane Crap. Graham Chapman, sorry, who um, died in '89, hmm. which which I think they all felt they thought was a bit of a blow at the time because yeah. you know one it, was, of them it was, was a bit of a blow. One of them was actually gone. But so, yes, yeah, so that's my Python. So uh, I hope you enjoyed it and uh, as much as we did. And um, if you have any cre- any Python related questions, 
uh, email us in and ask Luke because he knows everything there is to know. <laughs> we should start an Ask Luke segment. We should ask, <laughs> ask Luke. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, and we I, I cannot stress this enough as check him out. I mean, just check if you haven't already, please do so. Uh, Monty Python, you will not be disappointed. Awesome stuff. Comic gold. And Comic gold. Always look on the bright side. Exactly. <laughs> uh, coming up next, coming soon. Coming soon in Australian cinemas. Uh, of course, we're now we're going weekly. I'm only going to do what's coming up in the next week. Very exciting. Coming with NTP weekly. Uh, so coming up in Australian cinemas in the next week, uh, October 17, because we get our movies on the Thursday, uh, we get Prisoners with Hugh Jackman being all serious. Um, and About Time, which we saw the preview for last night uh, at Gravity. And i got to say, I'm not that impressed. But hey. Hard to say. Yeah. Oh, right. it, you know, Richard Curtis could go either way, but it's got Bill Nye. Yeah, well, I'm always happy to see him. I said that in the cinema. I'm always happy to see him. Yeah, the, the other question is, um, how will this joke play out? Mm. Is, yeah. it, is it a one-joke film, or will there be a bit more to it than I'm that? I'm with you Cool. So like I said at the start, uh, we're now uh, partnering up with Madman Entertainment, um, which is absolutely brilliant. We love everybody here loves Madman, yep. and to be involved with them in any way is awesome. Uh, they have kindly supplied us um, some stuff to give away. Uh, which is awesome, absolutely brilliant of them. Uh, we've got Samurai Pizza Cats. Samurai Pizza Cats. Oh yeah, who do you call when you want some pepperoni? Samurai Pizza Cats. What? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Transformers Generation 1 Remastered box set, which is absolutely awesome. So, so there's two uh, cartoon classics from our childhoods. Um, I don't know. If, if you, I hadn't seen the DVD in your hand, I would have thought Luke had just made that song up and it was just a made-up show. <laughs> what amazes me is that we've actually sung this Samurai Pizza Cat song and not the actual good soundtrack from these products, which is the Transformers music, right, which okay, is actually awesome. Robots in disguise. <laughs> okay, there we go. Fair enough. Um, so Samurai Pizza Cat's volume one and like the first four seasons of Transformers Generation One, which is brilliant. So um, in other words, you're saying... Good Transformers. Yes, good trend. Yeah, good Transformers. Yeah, this, these are just uh, just giveaways. Um, thanks to Madman Entertainment. There's no competition necessary. All I would like you to do is just contact us on any of the methods uh, that we're about to say, and um, just let us know you want them. We'll put your name in the NCP hat. Yeah, and whoever we draw out gets them. Simple as that. Because the NCP hat's still sulking from last time. So. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, check out Madman Entertainment. So it's madman.com.au where you can uh, buy these uh, awesome products as well as a whole bunch of other stuff especially anime releases if you're into anime Madman is the place to be Um, and they've also partnered up uh, just recently with Milk Shadow Books uh, so Australian comics as well to be distributed through Madman so it's absolutely magnificent they cover everything you could possibly want also getting you know not just the anime as well but getting in um, films from around the world that don't get a lot of mainstream release. Exactly right. So they also they also specialise in foreign films hmm. um, to sort of bring them out to the mass market. So, for example, uh, I'll be reviewing a, a field in England in our next next episode. I've heard some good things. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Hmm. But uh, yeah, mayman.com.au. Uh, so just to finish up, you can contact us on a crap load of different stuff. I mean, seriously, we're everywhere. You can find us all over the place, including... On the web at www.nerdculturepodcast.com uh, By email at feedback at nerdculturepodcast.com Or Facebook at uh, www.facebook.com forward slash nerdculturepodcast 
Or you can get us on the Twitter machine. That nerd culture cast. Um, you can Facebook also... doesn't have a machine. <laughs> That's right. Only Twitter is a machine. You can also get us on Skype at Nerd Culture Podcast if you want to Skype in. And uh, if, if it's not on, uh, just Skype in and just leave a message and we'll play the message on the show. Uh, don't forget, you can also rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. And we're also an Amazon affiliate. So if you're ever going to do some shopping on Amazon, which I'm actually going to do, I'm going to buy the, the World of Warcraft Trooper Pursuit game. Because I'm an idiot. What? Uh, I'm, buying it, <laughs> I'm buying it through the website. So and, and uh, you'll have to play it with himself. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to play it with Bo over Skype. Uh, so, <laughs> which is pretty sad. So yes, there's a widget on the website. Uh, just buy it through there. It doesn't cost you any extra, but we get a percentage, which is pretty cool. And I've got to say, whoever's buying all the Fables comics, the Fables trade paperbacks, you're a legend. Because <laughs> seriously, they've bought like every one. So that's absolutely brilliant. Our last, our last invoice was, um, it was like $8 or something. So All right. We're on fire. Getting closer to on that full-size poster. That's it. <laughs> brilliant stuff. So I really appreciate it. Thanks. Um, if you want to hear some more of my voice, you can catch me on Film Flams. It's my, my little side project. Uh, www.filmflames.com which I do with Bo uh, where we uh, do sort of custom commentaries for films so commentary uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm willing to admit not quite as cool as the uh, Dr. Horrible commentary track but we're pretty cool (laughs) it's not quite up there though Uh, that's it for episode 61 thank you very much from me and the crew Richard this parrot is dead Luke (laughs) (laughs) Okay, oh, get it. Uh, Crystal. He's not the host. He's a very naughty boy. <laughs> Gold. That was awesome. Bye. 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 Cheer up, Brian. You know what they say. Some things in life are bad. They can really make you mad. Other things just make you swear and curse. When you're chewing on life's gristle, that grumble give a whistle and this'll help things turn out for the best and always look on the bright side of life always look on the light side of life if life seems jolly rotten there's something you forgot and that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing hey. Always look on the bright side of life Come on Always look on the bright side of life For life is quite absurd You must always face the curtain with a bow Forget about your scene, give the audience a grin Enjoy it, it's your last chance anyhow So always look on the bright side of death Just before you draw your terminal breath
Bernie, I said, they'll never make that money back. That's the end. Stop the programme. Stop it. <laughs>